and we welcome you to our fellowship, and you are part of our fellowship here. I'd love if you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelations, chapter 1, and reading from the Word of God, uh, from verse 1, let us open to what God wants to do here in the house of God today, and in your, and in your house. And uh, this is your tabernacle, this is your abide, this is where God lives. And uh, I pray today that it's not information, but revelation be imparted to you each and every one of you today. Who knows that you need revelation? Revelation comes from above. Uh, information you can get from Google, amen? And uh, who knows that everything that Google says is not right. And, uh, but you need revelation. Revelation comes from God and is imparted by inspiration. That is, means it's God-breathed. Pneuma is the word they use in the Greek. And when you, we know that from a pneumatic tire. It gets filled with breath, doesn't it? Or it gets filled with air. So we want the pneuma inspiration, breath of God upon the Word of God to bring revelation, amen? Revelation of God. It's a good, a good thing to have. So I'm going to read a few verses, about 11 verses in fact, maybe a few more. And it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which, which God gave to him to show his servants things must shortly take place, and he sent and signaled it by his angel to his servant John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all the things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and is from the seven spirits who are before the throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our own sins in his blood. And he has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Bear with me for a few more verses. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even they who have pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth who mourn because of him, even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who was and who is and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ." In verse 10, it goes on to say, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega. This is Jesus speaking. I am the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and seal it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment, down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters." And he had in his hand, right hand, seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and the countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. 
I'm reading this morning from the book of Revelations, and everybody goes, <gasps> because we've all got in our mind this amazing concept of what this entails and what this book entails. And, uh, but the book of Revelations in the Greek is called Apocalypsos, which means a revelation. That's the word. So the first word in this book is actually revelation, a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it says. I'll read that first verse again. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so the word apocalypsis is the first word written in this, box, in this book, and it means unveiling. Revelation is an unveiling. It means to uncover, to reveal, or to make manifest. That first word causes us to think the uncovering of, the revealing of, and the manifestation of who? This book is the unveiling it's the uncovering, it's the revealing and revelation and the manifestation of Jesus Christ. And that is the main event, amen? That is the main event. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And when you and I were born again, there was an apocalypsis event that occurred in your heart that changed the path of your eternal destiny. That is really the same word there. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's almost like a penny drop moment, and there was a revelation that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? And he is worthy of all of our praise, of all the honor, and everything that is within us. Amen? Give the Lord praise in the house of God this morning. Come on. Come on. Give the Lord praise. Give the Lord praise. This book here is a revelation of Jesus Christ. That which was concealed but now revealed the person of Jesus Christ, a living reality in your life, not a concept in your mind. Religion is not a concept. Religion is a concept in your mind. But Christianity, not a religion, but it is a revelation of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And when Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple, that is in Solomon's, in, in, the, in the Herod's temple, in Jerusalem at that time, the veil of that temple was torn from the top to the bottom and a work accomplished not by man but by God himself. And when you and I got born again, that was a work accomplished in our life by God himself. Amen? But God demonstrates his own love to us in that why we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. And so I, I, I always think uh, Hollywood gets it all wrong, don't they? When they think of uh, apocalypsis or they, they think of, we think of chaos, disorder and catastrophe. That's when we open up the book of Revelations and any, any apocalyptic movie from Hollywood, it's all about chaos, disorder and catastrophe. And the events of this mighty book of Revelation, Hollywood has grasped the great spectacle, but as always misses the great event. Amen. The great spectacle of the apocalyptic stories from Hollywood. But they miss the main event. And the main event is Jesus Christ revealed to the heart of men and women. You and I. Amen. And so from the, from the book of beginnings, that being Genesis and man's mighty downfall, to this awesome finale. And that's what this book of Revelations is. It is the finale and, uh, of Adam's lease to the earth, a total of 6,000 years. And a story of man's wonderful redemption. In the face of every adversity, as the Bible, you have to admit, has the most awesome plot. Doesn't the Bible just have the most awesome plot? thousand or 1,200 pages, but there's no plot like it, like the Bible, amen? 
And, uh, but this here, in the face of every adversity, is the Bible. It comes, and you'd have to say that at the end of the book, all is well that ends well. Uh, Jesus is the groom, and he gets his bride, and the bride is the church. That's you and I. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're the bride of Christ. You're looking pretty swell, honey. <laughs> you're looking pretty good. You're the bride of Christ. I would now like to briefly describe the times in which these events took place to add to the enormity and to the overcoming victory that we have in Jesus Christ. We forget the enormous victory that has been won for us. In any age and in any time, that victory that we have in Jesus Christ can be, never be overstated. In setting the scene, I want to backtrack some 25 years from when this book of Revelations was actually written and uh, to about the year, to the year 70 AD. You see this Bible here has a historical context. Historians from many persuasions, total unbelievers, men of different faiths and everything like that, have tested to the fact that what is contained in here is historically accurate. And there's no shortage of historical accuracy or there's no uh, uh, shortage of historical evidence for the Word of God, but it's what you do with the evidence that really, really matters. Not, no shortage of evidence. If you have a heart for the truth, the Lord will reveal it to you. And one of those ways is through it's the Bible's historical accuracy. And so here we are at 70 AD, and we see that the emperor of Rome, historically we know, was the emperor Vespasian. And he was a dynasty of the Flavius, uh, of the Flavius dynasty. And uh, there was Vespasian, succeeded by his son Titus. We know him as a Roman general of the 10th legion, and also his brother Domitian. And they formed the Flavius dynasty of Rome. And... and uh, 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 Vespasian's order to his son Titus, the general of the Roman 10th Legion, was to siege and decimate Jerusalem and the Jewish people. Rome saw Jerusalem and the Jewish people as rebellious. This is historical accuracy. And, uh, and this order was carried out by his son Titus, the leader and general of that infamous Roman 10th Legion and many other legions with him, and which was stationed in the area. And it happened on the 9th of Av. Av is a Jewish or Hebrew month of the year. And on the 9th of Av in the Jewish letter, in the Jewish calendar, uh, which also commemorates the destruction of the first temple by the Babylonians in 586 BC, that destruction of the temple happened also on the 9th of Av. Amazing, isn't it? And, uh, and we can see that the 9th of Av has not been very kind to the Jewish people. In 1492, on the same date, the 9th of Av, there was an edict of expulsion giving the Jewish people 14 days to leave Spain or be, have all their possessions confiscated and their lives taken from them in the most brutal fashion. That also was on the 9th of Av. And many, many other atrocities to the Jewish people and to this day, it has not stopped. Why is it? It's not logical, but it's spiritual. 
The devil hates the Jewish people because to them was given the word, to them was given the prophets, to them was given the priests, to them was given the temple worship, and to them was given the word of God. Amen? And they were set, the Bible says that they were set in the midst of the nations of the earth to be a witness to all the nations of the earth. And the Bible tells me in the book of Revelations that all the nations of the earth will be judged by how they treated my people Israel. How Australia treats Israel right now is very, very pertinent as how we will be judged in the time to come. And the year was then was 70 AD, and at the hands of Titus, there was more than a million people died in Jerusalem at that time. More than a million people. It was only about just over a four-month siege. The original siege on Jerusalem in 586 BC was about three and a half years. But this was only about four months and more than a billion, a billion people died, million people, and they were butchered. And as recorded from different sources, including the Jewish historian Josephus. I like the book of Josephus. It's a accurate, amazing. He was an incredible man who lived at the very, very time of the Jewish destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And incidentally, he became a Flavius Josephus. He became a member of the emperor's household, taken into his household, and he became a historian for the Romans and for the Jewish people. And you see, the Jewish people to this day have mixed reviews about Josephus. But Josephus, having been to Rome, he knew inevitably what would come to the Jewish people, that nothing could withstand the force of the Roman sword and that it was futile to resist the Romans at that time. And so Flavius Josephus, the great historian, advised the people. He was a priest himself. He came from the Hasmonean Empire himself, and his advice to the Jewish people was to surrender to the Roman authorities at that time, which they refused to do. I want to give a biblical and historical context to know that you can trust the word of God historically today. And, um, and so when the spoils from the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, Titus brought the, the riches of the temple of Jerusalem into Rome. And to mark the occasion, they were carved in the relief work on the underside of what is now called Titus's arch. And that was erected with the money from the temple at that time. And you can see on the underside of Temple's Arch, the people bringing in the menorah and also the Ark of the Covenant, I believe, is on there as well. And so it's a historically accurate thing that happened. And so with the spoils, they also uh, they built the Colosseum with the spoils from from the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. It was not a small thing to raid the riches of, uh, of the temple. And I believe the arch one day will be a witness against the city of Rome. Things are set up and they are witness to us, for us, and even against us. The word of God is like that. It is a witness to us, it is a witness for us, and can be used as a witness against us. If we were to align ourselves with the Word of God, what would this Word of God be to you and to your life today? Would it be a witness to you, for you, or against you? That is for you to decide. And so, um, so the emperor uh, with the stolen riches, Emperor Vespasian, who was the Caesar of the time, he began the largest building works at that time with the building of the Colosseum in Rome. 
and it was paid for totally with the wealth gained from the destruction in the temple in Jerusalem. Can you believe that? That such a, an abominable thing would be paid for by the riches of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem to the Colosseum, the building of the Colosseum in Rome. Amazing, isn't it? And that also will be a witness against that nation. And when Jesus said in not one stone would be left upon another, when you read Matthew chapter 21, when you read Luke 21, when you read uh, Mark chapter 13, he said, Jesus said, not one stone shall be left upon another. This was describing the destruction of Jerusalem and, uh, and the temple, which happened on the 9th of Av in 70 AD. And you think, what would motivate all those Roman soldiers to throw down every stone? And the fact is, the temple itself was lined with gold. And they accidentally actually set it to fire. And so all the gold melted. And what happens to gold? It just ran between every single stone. And when there's gold in them stones, those massive stones seem to be no effort when man is consumed by the, by the I, I don't know, rape and pillage and, and, and loot. Amen? And that's why they said, no stone shall be left upon another. And every stone was thrown down to get the gold that had melted between the stones. And so, so when Jesus preached at that time in Matthew 24, and he preached about his coming again. And as the prophecy has both, and as with most prophecies, there is an immediate and also a long-term fulfillment. And there is layers in prophecy which are progressively fulfilled as much of biblical prophecy has progressive layers of fulfillment. You see, it's not just Shrek who had layers, amen? Remember that? Shrek is had, you know, donkeys have layers and Shrek has layers and all this sort of stuff. But prophecy has layers of fulfillment. And when you read even the Old Testament through, you can see multiple layers of prophecy being fulfilled over the millennial of time. And so Vespasian never saw the finished work of the Colosseum because it took years and years to build. I think about 20 years, I'm not sure. But his son Titus, who took the throne after Vespasian of the same family, Flavius, took the throne. And it is said that even in the inaugural games, 9,000 animals were slaughtered in the Colosseum, not counting the loss of human life. 9,000 animals. Today we call those animals rare. And, uh, and we, when we read the Bible, we say there's bears and there's cubs and there's lions in the streets and all this sort of thing. And the reason they are no longer in those areas is because of the mass slaying of animals for that whole period of time in human history. And they entered into a new era of killing and martyrdom in the name of entertainment. Amen? And so the absence of lions and bears as every other thing uh, can be attributed mainly through this period of time. And uh, also Titus only then reigned for about two years. He suspiciously died and, uh, and his younger brother became the emperor of Rome. And so enter center stage now, the Caesar of the day, and his name was Domitian. And this all comes to bear because this is setting the stage for when we enter into the first chapter of the book of Revelations. Amen? It sets the scene. 
And all the behind information gives you a greater understanding of what God is writing in his word to reveal to us for you and I today. And so now he's the third ruler now of this family. His name is Domitian. And uh, up until this time from the destruction of Jerusalem, there was what we would call the diaspora. And it means that the Jewish people were dispersed or they were driven out, driven out of Jerusalem. They were driven out of Israel. And uh, in 135 AD, uh, that is about another 70-odd years later, there was the, what they would call the Bar Kokhba uh, uh, rebellion and a final driving out of the Roman people, of the Jewish people, out of Israel. And they were driven and put into exile almost until the last century. Amen? This is not a small thing that this nation of Israel was reborn as you and I were reborn, so the nation of Israel was reborn, and the Jewish people whom the land rightfully belongs, according to the word of God, because the Bible is, a, it is, a, it is the title deed for the land, amen, to the Jewish people. I don't care what your political standards, what this, what that, this is what the Bible says about the Jewish people and what they call their homeland. And when, de when describing their own land, they call it Eretz Israel, which means the land of Israel, the land and the people being one. And so, and, and you think um, a persecution for the people became a global pastime, as it has been for the last 2,000 years, a global pastime to continue to persecute the Jews. But it happened well and truly in the 1,000 years beforehand as well. One-third of the United Nations deliberations, this tiny land, 450 kilometres long, about 80 kilometres wide at its widest point, 15 kilometres wide at its narrowest point, about one-third the size of this region of Charters Towers is the land of Israel. Yet one-third of all the United Nations deliberations are against Israel. Can you believe that? The only democratic nation in the whole of the Middle East tiny land, struggling to survive, and yet not only, stri uh, uh, not only surviving, but it thriving. it's thriving. In fact, there's startup companies in Israel totaling about more than 500 for the year, every, every year. In the whole of the world, there's only about 650, but in Israel, there's about 500. Amen? It doesn't make sense. Eight and a half million people putting out such a produce. And the land itself, so tiny, feeds about 35 million uh, Japanese and Asian people of fresh fruit and vegetables. It's incredible, isn't it? But the Emperor Domitian initially appeared as a benevolent leader and emerged in time of, as one of the most wicked and merciless tyrants in human history. This is the period we're entering into now in which this book or the backdrop of this book is written. And... Uh, he sought to control public and private morals by nominating himself as censor perpetus. And it's a Latin phrase meaning he was the perpetual censor. So global governance was and is not something new and, is, and has been continuing since the day of Nimrod and the Tower of Babel to this present day. Global governance is nothing new. It just takes different forms and different people take center stage, but it's certainly very, very near, if not in place now. And it gave the emperor the right to censor, to eliminate any part of society he deemed offensive. Isn't that a, a catch cry and word for today? Oh, I find that offensive. Amen? Meanwhile, 
uh, about 30 years ago, it was illegal to engage in those activities, but now we find it of offensive if we oppose them. And so unnecessary. Any person or group who stood in opposition to the ideals, Emperor Domitian passed a powerful new weapon. He passed laws that could use to censor, to silence, to eliminate, to purge any public or private person who spoke against him or his commands. This is the day. This is global governance in the Roman Empire with a maniac at the throne called the Emperor Domitian from the household of Flavius. You see, this is historical accuracy, which is the backdrop to this chapter 1 in the book of Revelations. Amen? If, if you have any doubt about the Word of God, historical, historical accuracy, you can be sure that it is true. And you should take comfort in that. And uh, we know that uh, 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 censoring nowadays is nothing new. Margaret Court now, a retired tennis player, uh, former number one singles player to this day, winning 24 grand slams. And she's a minister now in Perth of a very large church there, a great church. And she spoke against gay marriage. She spoke against, uh, for traditional family values and traditional marriage. Media-driven outcry wanted to have Margaret Court Arena re uh, renamed because those views which she bravely and courageously stood by could now no longer be ta tolerated. You see, that same spirit that was in Domitian is in the world today. That person, Domitian, he's dead and long gone in hell. Uh, but that spirit lives on. That same spirit, that, that antichrist spirit that operated in the Garden of Eden still operates to this very day. It works in our educational institutions, our political institutions, and every other form of government and law. The JCU scientist Peter Ridd, formerly head of the JCU physics department, that's in, even in Townsville a number of years ago, 2014-2013, he spoke on the conclusions of the Great Barrier Reef and he said that the Great Barrier Reef has never been in better condition. Has never been in better condition. And he was an authority on the reef and head of the department at that time. He lost his job over it. It was an unlawful and, un, and uh, uh, unrighteous decision because scientists should be able to study the facts and to be able to share their findings, but not so today, because everything is so politically motivated. And he fought his case, and he won his case. Peter Ridd won his case against the JCU. One of Mozilla Firefox's CEO, Brandon, uh, uh, their CEO, was his name was Brendan Ike, and uh, after only eight days in the role... He resigned as pressure mounted as he was it was revealed that he donated $1,000 to an anti-gay gay, uh, marriage campaign, anti-gay marriage campaign. He had to resign. I mean, Mozilla Firefox was one of the world's leading um, uh, companies. Israel Folau is another one, and there's many, many, many. The, the list goes on and on and on. It gets too distressing to read through it all because it's not uplifting and it doesn't build faith. But I want to tell you today that Jesus is Lord. Amen? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is the sovereign and monarch of the universe. Amen? And every eye shall see him. Every eye shall see him. Even the one who pierced him shall see him. Amen? To declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. By the year AD 93, the emperor Domitian declared himself Dominus et Deus, another Latin word or phrase, and he declared himself to be Lord and God in his own lifetime. 
other, other Caesars, they made him Lord and God after they dead. But not this fella. He declared himself to be Lord and God while he was still breathing. Amen? Lord and God. And uh, temples were constructed, not just to his honor, but for him, so that he could be worshipped. And anybody who did not worship Domitian uh, was, uh, had heavy penalties, even death imposed on them. A priesthood was created, dedicated to the worship of Domitian. We think, but this is what it's like. This is when crazies get in power and begin, they lose all moral grip. They lose all, all their foundation. As people passed by the image of Domitian, heads and knees were dipped before the temples, incense were burned, and those who were refused could be arrested, imprisoned, exiled, or killed. Enter the Apostle John. Amen? Put your name in that place. Enter or put your name in there. Because we're living in a day where perpetual census is coming upon us, coming upon the world, and coming upon the church. Amen? It is coming upon the church. And uh, I always say these things not to scare you, but to prepare you. Some people here may be thinking, oh, I scoff at this sort of thing. I don't take it seriously. But I want to warn you, these things are coming, and very, very soon. Very soon. Very soon. Uh, it was in this time that John, who was living just outside the Ephesus, why was he living in Ephesus and not in Jerusalem? Because they were driven out of the land. And... Uh, and, it, and he was brought before the emperor Domitian in Rome itself. And he was the last of the living apostles. John here is the only surviving apostle when this book of Revelations, the Apocalypsis, the revelation of Jesus Christ was written. He is the only living apostle that appeared to be flourishing. And uh, this new vibrant group called the People of the Way, or Christians they began to be known, and they were flourishing. doesn't matter how many they killed. They just seemed to be flourishing. Amen? Despite the opposition and John's, John's reputation as the last living apostle was spread far and wide. He was famous. He was famous. People came from around the empire to visit John at his home. And he lived above, above the, uh, the hill where uh, one of the big temples to... Uh, Artemis of the Ephesians, and he lived up above there with Mary, that was Jesus' mother, until she passed away. And the one who had laid his head on Jesus' breast, the one that Jesus loved, that's what Jesus said of himself. When speaking about himself and Jesus, he said, I am the one that Jesus loved. And uh, he was one of the inner circle, amen? That was, Jesus, uh, that was John, one who had personally saw, walked and witnessed all that Jesus did. This was John. The one who cared for Jesus' mother Mary. He was there at the crucifixion and he was obedient to Jesus when he said, Behold, Jesus said to him, Behold your mother at the cross. Remember that? Jesus on the cross, one of the last words, fulfilling every obligation to his own family because his own mother had no source of income. And he said to John, Behold your mother. And he said to his mother uh, Mary, Behold your son. And so before the emperor Domitian, he would have stood before him to stand trial. And this is John, the very, very, he was about 90-odd years of age, a very, very aged man. And he was ordered possibly to burn incense to him as God. 
And in Ephesus, that's exactly what they happened. They had the big uh, uh, the temple worship to Domitian, the emperor Domitian. There was an altar of incense, and you had to throw incense on the fire and bow your head to the great god Domitian. Oh, it would have been a repulsive thing to do. But when the Antichrist steps onto the stage in history, in the days and years to come, that's exactly what is going to be required of you and I. If the church is not taken out into the rapture, that's exactly what will be happening. If you miss the rapture, that was exactly what will be happening. I say, live for Jesus and live for Jesus today. Don't miss the rapture. Don't miss the rapture of the church. Because there is a time, the Bible says, of hardship coming upon the earth, such as the world has never, never seen. World War II, World War I, all those things have got nothing on what is coming upon the earth when the Antichrist steps into his position. And so Christian apologist Tertullian gives an account, and he was known for his accuracy of the recording of the events that Domitian, because he would not bow, John would not bow to the Emperor Domitian in his face. Domitian became furious and ordered that John be thrown into a vat of oil. And he was lowered into a vat of boiling oil. Amen? Observers waited for John to die in the boiling oil, but instead watched as John got out of the vat unharmed. This is historically what was recorded uh, by this uh, Christian apologist and historian Tertullian and others as well. There's not just single accounts of this, but it is greatly recognized throughout church history and the church of our fathers, as well as secular history, that John was, by the emperor's decree, lowered into a boiling vat of oil. But this was before this happened here. This is what, so what happened to John at this time? Observers waited for John to die but he basically crawled out of that and he says, well, well, I'm clean now. Had a good oil bath. Good thing it was Castrol GTX, amen? Domitian was afraid, and who wouldn't be? If you saw a man get out of a pot of boiling oil, would you not be afraid? And Domitian was afraid of John. And he gave the order for John to be put on the, an exile to the Isle of Patmos. And you say, well, what is Patmos? You just read it at the Isle of Patmos. A little bit of history, and you can just find out very easily. Just Google Patmos, and there it is there for you, for all to read. Even Wikipedia gives you a mile of evidence, a mile of it. And so Patmos was the Alcatraz of the Aegean Sea. Amen? That's what it was. It was the Alcatraz of the Aegean Sea. In fact... The title of my message this morning is Patmos, Revelation at Alcatraz. All good things can happen when you put on Alcatraz as long as you're in the plans and purposes of God. Amen? Good things. And it was Rome's harshest pen penal colony. And uh, just uh, John like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, he didn't bend and he didn't bow and he didn't burn in that oil, man. I mean, he just got out of that place and he was then exiled to that island of Patmos. And the 14th year of the reign of Domitian, John was sent, and it's recorded that he was banished to this island of Patmos. The island was a prison colony for common criminals and political offenders. And he obviously was treated as a criminal and a political, he was a political nuisance, uh, adored by hundreds of thousands of people who had become Christians at that time. So according to ancient historians, and I'll mention them to give it substance, 
You have substance when you come to the Word of God. You have absolute historical substance, and you can be assured. If you want to detail, you want to research, you can have a look at any one of these places, any one of these people, any one of these stories, and you can go to the archaeological evidence of which there is so much. Your biggest job is weeding out because there's just so much evidence. Amen? You have not need to worry about the Bible for historical accuracy. And so according to ancient historians, Arrhenius, Eusebius, Jerome and others, 95 AD, John was exiled, they all agree, to this remote island. It was 24 miles off what was called modern-day Turkey. Down about southwest of the modern-day Turkey is this island called, Al- uh, not Alcatraz, but Patmos, amen, of uh, they, what we used to call and still do, Asia Minor, uh, which is Turkey now. And it's a desolate island, 10 miles long and about 6 miles wide. I suppose it's about similar to the size of um, Magnetic Island, say. Very, very similar in size to Magnetic Island. Patmos, Alcatraz of the ancient world. And what better place to find the truth? What better place? Solitary confinement, in seclusion, not a great deal of company, not a great deal of good company, perhaps. But the revealed... uh, the revealed truth of God with no distractions. And the Lord turns the tables on the devil's plans once and again. And it seems like it's God's specialty, amen? Amen. God's specialty is to turn the tables on the devil. And if he's trying to come at you, he's trying to come at your family, he's trying to come at your health, he's trying to come at your finances, he's trying to come at your marriage and any other thing, I think God's resurrection power all can come into play and turn everything on its head. That which is dead, resurrection, life and power comes into it. And the Lord turns the, di- uh, turns the tables on the devil and the devil just goes, Oh, do. Oh, do. He got me again. He's pretty thick, isn't he? But the man who had seen it all, this is was John, he'd seen it all, was to receive heaven's greatest revelations. And it was like God was saying, You have not seen anything, John. Just stand back and see what I'm going to reveal to you. You haven't seen anything. He's the man who basically was renowned for having seen everything. But Jesus was just, he was there on the spot. It's written in red. Jesus spoke to him on that desolate island, in that desolate cave. And they know where that cave is to this day. You can go and visit it if you want. You can go there. Sure you can. You've not seen anything yet, John. And the unfolding of the last scenes of the greatest story ever told. Who's ever watched the movie, The Greatest Story Ever Told? It's this, a six-hour panoramic view of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It's, a great, it's an old movie classic, The Greatest Story Ever Told. Jules and I sit and watch it once a year at least or twice a year. And uh, it just brings it all back home. But there is a cave on the back of the island Uh, of this island called Patmos, and for over 1,600 years, it has been called the Cave of Revelation. That's what it's called. It's called the Cave of Revelation. It's called the Cave of of Apocalypsos. Have you ever had an Apocalypsos yourself? Have you had a revelation of Jesus Christ? Or is he some just historical figure? Is he just some good guy, some good teacher? But is he Jesus Christ, the son of the living God? But when you become and when that revelation of God comes, and it happened to me when I was about 29 years of age, and a revelation of Jesus Christ, just not as a concept in my mind, but a reality in my life. I was born again of the spirit of God. You too today can be born again of the spirit of God. That can happen to you today. You don't have to. If you're listening in online and you're not sure, you don't have to wander any longer. 
that cave of revelation, or oh, that can be yours today, 1,600 years for that period of time and longer, that island and that cave has been known as John's Cave and the Cave of Apocalypsos, the Cave of Revelation. And so here we are, it brings us back. So that's the backdrop to this first verse. Amazing history, isn't it? Wonderful history. But it brings into context. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not about chaos. It's not about con confusion. It's not about catastrophes overwhelming the earth. That is the byproduct. But the main event is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it says, behold, he's coming with clouds and every eye will see him. So it won't be just to the born and begin believer that will see him. It will be to every man, woman, boy, girl. Every eye that sees him will understand that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Jesus Christ is Lord. It'll be a glorious day. All oh, I long. I long for the whole world to begin to recognize and recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord. In Revelation 1.9, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation, here he is, and kingdom with and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. In the years that lay ahead, we will find many of us imprisoned because of the testimony of Jesus Christ. Oh, yes, we will. But they overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Amen. That is how we will overcome. Overcoming is the Christian way of life. Throwing in the towel in the boxing ring, that's not us. Oh, that's not us. Turn to the person and say, that's not us. Turn to the person next to you and say, that is not us. I am not throwing in the towel. I'm not throwing in the towel. Co-sharers in the patience of Jesus Christ. Here he is. This is John, the most elite believer in the whole of the ancient world left on the earth at that time. And he refers to himself as brother and companion. Amen? Not, not enforcing any special status. Well, bishop such and such. Well, this or the... None of that. The cross is the great leveler, amen, to which we all must come. All the cross is the great leveler. doesn't matter whether you're a prisoner or a prime minister. We all have to come to the cross. We all, it's a great leveler is the foot of the cross. The Greek word in this context is the compound word hupomone. That is for that word used for patience. And patience and endurance, we've spoken about power twins, faith and prayer and faith and patience. And when you go to the Bible, whenever you read the word faith, look for the word patience. Because in regard to putting up with hardship and trials and persecutions, you're not going to just need it. You're going to rely on it. And you don't work for patience, but when you develop patience in your life, it will work for you. Patience will work for you. And it is a power twin or a dynamic duo to faith. With faith, you need patience. With prayer, you need faith. You see how all these things are intertwined and one supports the other. As a buttress supports a brick wall, so patience supports faith. And so faith supports prayer. Just say praying without faith is very, very ineffective. It says the effective and fervent prayer, that means one where is he, you have engaged faith, avails much. Amen? So we can learn many of these things. And, uh, but patience is this, is this other word, and, and John he was a master at it. He'd lived through the whole of the diaspora. 
the dispersion of all the church, driven out from the land, to all the four corners of the earth they were to go, according to the word of the Lord. Even in Deuteronomy, Moses spoke about it because he too was a prophet. In other words, he was saying, this is what patience will do for you. It enables you and it empowers you to hold the light. It empowers you to stay the course and having done all to stand. That's what faith and patience will do for you. It portrays a person who's absolutely committed to what he believes. In the face of Domitian, he said, I acknowledge me as your supreme leader, as God Almighty. That's what Domitian was saying to him and his faith. He wouldn't burn incense and he would not acknowledge Caesar to his face. And the boiling vat of oil was in front of him, yet he held firm to his conviction. Christians in this end time church will be people of conviction. You and I will be masters of people of conviction. We will not be swayed by to and fro from doctrines or unbelief or any such thing. We will declare a thing and we will hold the line. We will hold to the word of God as a drowning man clutches to a straw. So we will hold to the word of God. Amen? Oh, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. And so it portrays a person absolutely committed to the position to what we hold. Regardless of how heavy the pressure may seem. Or you think, oh, temptation's coming my way. Or I say, I say, hold on to faith, hold on to patience, and hold firm to the word of God. And do not give in, do not give in to the devil's guises. And uh, you and I are called to refuse to move or surrender. We stick to our position and if you were in the military, we would stay at our post and we would not move. If you're in the military, you're given a post and one of the first commands is you stay at your post and by no, by no means will you leave your post. You and I have been given a post in the Lord's army. We're in the Lord's army, amen? We're no longer volunteers. Once you've volunteered, you're no longer a volunteer. Isn't that amazing? Once you, that's profound, isn't it? Once you volunteer in the Lord's army, you're no longer a volunteer. You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. But the kind of patience that John had, and I came back to it, it's called hanging in their power. And when this type of hoopamony, Greek patience, is working in a person's life, it will give you and I a supernatural ability to remain steadfast, to never surrender our position or to never surrender our beliefs. You think, oh, we're in Australia, we're never called to those things. That's for these other foreign countries. But things are changing, and they're changing quick. Our job is to prepare people up, to prepare ourselves, and to prepare those around us. And, because, and that's why fellowship is very important. Fellowship will keep you hooked, on, hooked in with people of like-minded spirit. I mean, we're unified by the spirit of the living God. Not unity for unity's sake, but unity in the spirit of Jesus Christ. And uh, they became, our church fathers referred to this kind of patience that John here exemplified as the queen of all virtues. I spoke about patience a week or so ago, but it is the queen of all virtues. And they became victors in the fight of faith. John was a victor in the fight of faith. Domitian died, I think, about 18 months later after John was put on Patmos. And John actually got out. And, uh, and uh, I, 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 I noticed that in the word of God, I can't remember 
exact references right now, but many times John says, it is I, it is I, it is I, because they all thought that John was dead. And so when he spoke and wrote this letter, the book of Revelations to the church, it would have been copied and dispersed throughout the whole of the Roman Empire. And throughout this letter, it is is I, John, who is speaking. And they couldn't believe it. John's still alive. John's still alive. Domitian didn't kill him. Patmos didn't kill him. They had horrendous work camps on Patmos, cracking rocks. Patmos became his pulpit. Patmos became the place of revelation of revelations. And all the panorama and of history was laid out before John. All of it. And the whole 22 chapters of revelations. How the whole glorious story, how God redeems humanity. How the groom gets the girl. Wraps up in this glorious book. 22 chapters. And uh, oh, it's a great thing. Just on a, on a footnote there, just in regard to Domitian, Domitian had coinage with his own dead son on it. And Domitian on this coin, on one side was his face. On the other side was his son, who had already died, sitting on a globe, surrounded by seven stars. And so, isn't that amazing? And so Domitian here is declaring himself to be greater than Jupiter at the time, the greatest of all gods in the ancient world. And here is Jesus writing, and he said, uh, to the seven stars. And so John would have had coinage in his pocket only a month or so before meeting Domitian with that grotesque picture of Domitian and his son surrounded by the seven stars. You see, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? Let me finish off on Psalm 2. Or Psalm... uh, No, I won't go to Psalm 2. I'll go to uh, Acts 4, I think. Acts 4. Acts 4, then one just verse, quick verse from Philippians. This is, this is good stuff because it brings everything into perspective. It's good to get some background information of what we read. And uh, they'd already had one of the guys, apostles in prison. This is just after really the Pentecost. And, uh, and they're praying in that place. And they're praying actually Psalm 2, but this is in the New Testament church. And they're praying, why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. I'm going to finish up on Philippians now. And that hasn't changed. They're still gathering on a global scale against the Lord and against his saints. And uh, I'll finish up on Philippians 2 because this is Jesus' position He doesn't exalt himself, but what did Jesus do? He humbled himself. Imagine that. The son of the living God, he doesn't exalt himself like all these Caesars. I notice we name all our dogs after the Caesars. Isn't that amazing? Brutus and all those guys, all those crazy dictators of the past. We name all our... If you've got a rock wheeler, you'll call them the name after Caesar or someone, won't you? But your sons you'll call Paul and Luke. Amen? But Jesus didn't exalt himself, but he humbled himself. He said in Philippians 2.5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. That's our Jesus. That's our Jesus. 
And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And then it says, therefore... Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's a good message. Please stand to your feet as Jules comes to the keys. Oh, Jesus today. Jesus today. Jesus today. Oh, revelation at Alcatraz. What the devil tried to lock John up. You cannot chain the word of God. You cannot imprison the word of God. Paul said, uh, he called himself when he was in prison in Rome, bolted to the floor of the Roman prison. He still classed himself not as a prisoner of imperial Rome, but a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Or you can't crush the gospel and you cannot exterminate it. You can't chain it. Or you can't, the more you try and crush the gospel, the more of the gospel goes out. The devil always overplays his hand. And I pray in the name of Jesus. Put out your hand to receive right now. I pray in the name of Jesus. A great courage is coming upon your church. A great courage and power is coming upon your people. A great courage, power and conviction is coming upon your church right now in the name of Jesus. We will not be moved, we will not bend, we will not bow and we will not burn in the name of Jesus. We will stand by the conviction. We will be loyal to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. Father, I thank you, Lord, that your name, you are preeminent first and foremost. You are sovereign and monarch of the universe. You're not up for re-election. And Father, I thank you, Lord God, that you will not be moved. You are the stone that is cut without hands, which will cross every empire of the man. And Father, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Father, this is prophetic and will come. Father, I thank you, Lord, that your word will be fulfilled. And I declare, we declare, the Lordship of Jesus Christ over our lives. We declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ over this church. We declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ over this region and that every knee shall bow and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's give the Lord praise in the house of God this morning. Come on, let's give the Lord a big clap off for Him. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord.